Hi, and welcome to the Writers Forum. I'm David Benedetto, and today I have Ben Aylshire here with me. How you doing today, Ben? Good, man. How you doing? I am great. It's a beautiful day outside when we're recording this. Oh, so God. I, it's gorgeous, yeah. Well, to kind of dive in, sure. you are a poet for hire. I am. Uh, what does that mean? It means uh, that I primarily make my living from writing poems for strangers in the street on a manual typewriter, and I also offer that service through my website as well, but mostly it's it's a a live thing in the street with people I've just uh, never even seen before that happen upon me. And you're on Royal Street? Yeah, Royal Street. Um, I've been taking a little bit of a break recently because I'm working on a, a novel project called Put for Hire, sort of an autobiographical novel about some of these adventures that I've had uh, in New Orleans and around the world as well. But uh, yeah, typically Royal Street, and then I'll do some private events and things like that, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, how did you decide to do this? What was kind of like the path to be like, I, I want to do this thing? It was sort of uh, fate, maybe. I mean, I grew up in a house filled with typewriters because my dad was sort of a quasi-hoarder oh. and a throwback and, and stuff like that. So I actually, my first poems I ever wrote as a teenager, terrible, juvenilia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> tortured love poems, whatever, um, wrote on typewriters. And uh, and then also, I sort of come from a background of um, of theater, theater performance, and musical performance. And so, throughout my twenties, I I toured with various bands, and performing in the street was a big part of our of our um, creative kind of enterprise and making it financially viable and everything. So that's kind of where I I really got used to that as a as a sort of mode of existing as an artist, where you can make make the living in the street, even if you're not getting paid the big bucks yet by yeah. the by whatever for music it's uh clubs or you know things like that um and that's something that worked really well even when we got to the point where we were touring in Europe and things like that uh the busking was still a way to make that happen and so when i started doing the poet for hire thing and then traveling with it it was really just a natural direction to go in yeah i think yeah. I, I love that yeah. um what i also love about this is the constraint you're placing on mm. yourself uh, because someone's saying, write me a poem about, uh, we're in the studio right now, about the styrofoam wall cover. Yeah, ooh, that'd be a good one. What, yeah. What's going through your head then? And how do you decide, like, what's a good vein to kind of pursue uh, for a poem? And what's like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to be good. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a couple things going on. One of them is a sort of mystical aspect that is hard to explain because no matter what people uh, give me as a topic... Sometimes there's this rush of um, images that flood the brain, you know, and so you you draw from that, especially because, as you said, there's this constraint, mostly of time, yeah. where each of these poems really has to happen within about 10 minutes, because any longer than that, and people, well, they want to walk down to Canal, or they want to, <laughs> and it's hard, oh, well, I'll meet up with you a couple hours later. No, no, no. Like, They're not going to meet up with you. You have to <laughs> do the, tran the transaction right there. Um, and so there's there's really a lot of pressure on it in that sense. And so you, you have to kind of draw from this well of, yeah, sort of images that sometimes you're not sure where they're coming from. I mean, they're coming from, you know, anyone has like a deep well of experience and uh, a palette of images, things that they've seen, places they've been, uh, things they've heard, et cetera, et cetera. So some of it comes from that. But then there is a, there's also a, uh, there's a level where, I try to bend the poem to my will in a certain sense, especially if someone gives me a topic that I find a little, you know, boring, bourgeois, bland, whatever. You know, someone wants me to write a poem about their dog. You know, I'm going to 
find a way to make it about uh, the rise of fascism, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, so that's something that I try to do because I'm, I'm not here to write poems about the sunset. Yeah. For someone, I'm just, that's not why I was put on the earth, you know. I want to talk to people about the apocalypse or love or, you know, redemption or something a little, um, a little more specific uh, than just kind of sometimes the random things that people ask me for. Yeah, that's a good for a business card. You know, I want to talk to you about the apocalypse. Yeah, I should. Yeah, <laughs> get some of those letterpress. Trademark up. it like Taylor yeah. Swift, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. The The book you have in front of you is called mm. Currency, which is a collection of these poems that you've written for people. And one of the other interesting aspects of this is a lot of artists get squirmy about the financial aspect of their yeah. art and they want it to be more pure or above that. But with these poems and again, in a more constrained and kind of microcosm, you are very much directly de dealing with the currency aspect of writing a yeah. poem uh, uh, for, for capital, for money. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that? And were you squirmy at first kind of addressing that? No, not at all. Uh, especially as um, someone from, you know, a low income kind of uh, family or the, you know, the bottom rung of the middle class maybe yeah. would be would be better to describe it. But, um, you know, money was kind of always a, a constant thing growing up and uh, especially through the kind of bohemian years of my 20s, which are now turning into bohemian years of my 30s, but uh, where money is just a constant terror, you know, how do you pay your rent? How do you, you know, how do I get this train ticket to France? How do I possibly, you know, how can I make this happen? Yeah. Um, and so I don't really fear money polluting my art. I, I would welcome some more money polluting my art, <laughs> actually. And sometimes I, I do, I smell this whiff of pretension when artists try to try to talk about how money is ruining their art as if, you know, I, I find it a little uh, kind of fake holiness or something, you know, or maybe the 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 precinct of someone who's like, you know, grew up like super, super privileged and kind of they have the, you know, they, they can afford to like be neurotic about it in that yeah. sense or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a good answer. To answer your question. But I mean, the title of the book, Currency, that was actually, the, the title poem was, um, oh, I opened right up to it. Uh, I wrote it for Tracy K. Smith, who's the Poet Laureate of the States at a book festival where, um, where I was tabling and uh, she kind of happened upon me and she only had Korean won. I think she had just <laughs> flown directly from some massive book festival in Korea yeah. or something or, or who knows why she only had won. But she gave me this beautiful bill and so I fed it directly into the typewriter and wrote her a poem called Currency and then just handed it back to her. Oh. Um, so that's where I got the title of the book. But, it, you know, by extension, all the poems in the book are they're poems that I transformed into food and, you know, bills and rent and things yeah. like that. And so the poems became my form of of currency. Yeah, um, the direct relationship. I, yeah. I, could you could you share that poem? Uh, currency? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to, love to hear yeah. that. Currency. When did your solitude become currency to you? Slipped and tucked into your pocket, you spend yourself with paper adorned with flowers and the resolute faces of men dead for centuries. Take this moment, this bouquet of bills, green and white and shaking in your hand, this lily. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, when she, she sort of, the elevator 
you know, bing. And she she waltzed into this, like, empty room where I was still there for some reason, like, packing up my stuff. And she sort of twirled around in this angelic way with her, like, giant bags. And uh, I kind of got this impression of her as this um, very successful but harried person who's kind of hounded constantly by by people, um, which was sort of confirmed uh, last year at AWP. I went to, to see her read, and afterwards um, there was, like, a line of people to have her sign her book, and she just fled. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I thought of it, you know, for, in that sense, I was turning currency into, um, like, her, I was imagining, speculating her form of currency being being solitude yeah. itself, something that maybe she used to have a lot more of, and now she doesn't anymore, and the price that, you know, yeah. you pay with that. I think that that's kind of fascinating that you're able to really get your mind in your place to where you can focus and get that texture of a poem right there and that kind yeah. of thoughtfulness because you know i've seen a lot of other you know the the poets for hire that mm -hmm. have come and it's it's a lot more of the um stream of consciousness stuff kind of going out yeah well a lot of them are and not I, writers yeah a lot of them are um charlatan type people who just want money to get drunk yeah um so there's uh there's a bit of like corruption of the art form going on now which is interesting uh and sad kind of inevitable yeah. i guess but yeah I've been researching the the troubadours a lot for this book I'm writing uh, because I, I see a lot of parallels between what poets for hire do and what the troubadours did, yeah. uh, as in making a living from the commissions, specific commissions from people. Although the troubadours, of course, were kind of like uh, beholden to this feudal aristocracy, but I'm beholden to capitalism or yeah. late capitalism or whatever you want to call it. And so um, I think we're both Poets for Hire and the Troubadours are kind of navigating that in these different ways. Um, but at that time, you know, in medieval times, there was a, a, distinction, a distinction between the, the jongleurs and the, the troubadours, which was like the clowns and the people making verse. Yeah. And so I kind of see, and you could be both. You could move between those worlds or you could start out as a clown and become a, a troubadour. You could move from peasant to... You could move up the class system, one of yeah. the only ways you could move up. But uh, I, I kind of see that distinction today even where there's kind of like the phonies, you know, and people who are actually like verse makers. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's a gray area, too. Yeah, it is a gray area for yeah. sure. Because you don't ever want to look down because there are people yeah. that get a lot of satisfaction out of mm -hmm. reading like, you know, the Instagram poets. I know there's yeah. a lot of um, kind of elitism in that, that these aren't really poets, mm. especially I, I remember there's an article that came out maybe about people in the UK. Uh, and it's so weird to get tied up in that gray era. Are yeah. you being elite? Are you actually, or is mm. this just kind of BS, you know? Yeah, that's dangerous because it's dangerous territory because I, I don't, you know, no one can put themselves in this position where they are the arbiter yeah. of what is real and what is not or something. Um, but, and yet, um, sometimes I've had some conversations with some of these people and they've never read a book of poetry in their life. Yeah. And they don't like poetry. Huh. They don't care about it. They are hustling people out of their money in the same way that, uh, and in that sense, it, it is a very authentic thing because part of that ecosystem in the French Quarter and in Havana, Cuba and Union Square, New York City and San Francisco is this network of hustlers, Yeah, you know? And so in that sense, it is very authentic, um, but it just might not be what 
you think it is, mm. you know? Interesting. If, you're, dynamics, if you're a yeah. visitor to New Orleans or something like that. You expect more of the Disney-fied version of it, but the entire dynamics there and the ecosystem is very kind of complex yeah. and nuanced within that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, to kind of kind of move on, you, you mentioned you are in the middle of writing a novel. Yeah. Uh, how's that going? It's really uh, thrilling and frightening and... Um, yeah, it's wonderful. I've, I mean, I've written prose. I've done some some little essays and some little journalism criticism stuff like that, but uh, not that often. And and so the the scope of trying to write a novel is is really exciting and um and scary. Yeah, yeah. I'm at forty six thousand words, so I may be two thirds of what I think it will end up being. Um, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I, I didn't start you know with short stories. Or something like that and worked my way up but but I I am kind of it's written in sort of an episodic way so in that sense it's kind of building weaving together these different sections and stuff but uh disparate points coming together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that's exciting I'm excited <laughs> yeah. for you um you've traveled quite a bit uh mm-hmm. do you have a favorite place uh New Orleans Louisiana all right that's a good <laughs> uh, we all like that answer I think um yeah I love it here uh and uh, I always feel this this push and pull with traveling because um, because I I love traveling so much I feel kind of addicted to it in a sense I can't stop even though sometimes it uh, tears apart my personal life or something like that. Um, but uh, there are some there's a there's a few different cities there's that classic what is it, the Tennessee Williams quote there's three cities in America New Orleans New York San Francisco mm-hmm. that triangle is uh, something I I see myself in kind of. The lineage of writers moving between those three points um and uh then havana cuba is a is a place uh that that had an uh, enormous effect on me and paris uh as well which i've been going to the last couple summers and i'm trying to make that happen again this year you did the uh residency over at shakespeare and company the bookstore there residency yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's a it's a it defies description a little bit yeah. because it's it's not something you can apply for. It's not an internship. You don't get college credit. There's no application. It's sort of this magical, strange, bohemian thing that exists not on the internet. And uh, so it's not really a residency, although some people like to call it a residency. Yeah. Because it makes them seem as if they were one of the people who were chosen to, like, come read there and yeah. live upstairs in the owner's old bedroom, George Whitman. Yeah. Um, so what I did was the tumble. I was a tumbleweed which is uh, how it's referred to the sort of wayward writers who are passing through Paris who need a place to stay and can't afford a hotel or something or don't know anyone or whatever. And um, so that's what I did for about two years, for about two months, excuse me, in the summer of 2016. And then last year, after meeting a whole bunch of people, I I found a place to sublet uh, in Saint-Ouen, the outskirts of Paris, Mm -hmm. above this abandoned bar (laughs) with this, uh, poet, songwriter, woman above this, uh, yeah, this abandoned bar where they're like chickens roosting and uh, Moroccans laying prostrate, you know, smoking hookahs and stuff. Um, it's really interesting. It actually reminded me a little bit of uh, of living in New Orleans, where there's like constantly roosters braying yeah. at night, and then I, I go to Paris, and there's also roosters <laughs> braying, you know. Um, so yeah, so Paris is really near and dear to me. Spain as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some of my no, favorite places. Good. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what brought you to New Orleans in the first place? Oh God. It's a long story. Um 
long and short of it, fate mixed with a little Cherchez La Femme. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tends to which happen. I, which I won't get into. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I won't get into that. <laughs> well, you can't. Well, you stayed, that. obviously. So so what about the city really kind of kept you here? Because you, you, you said you you love to travel. You're kind of addicted to it. But you yeah. seem to be coming back to this place. I think it was uh, everything clicked immediately yeah. as soon as I arrived here. I, I came here. I had just finished a, an art residency in Burlington, Vermont. And um, I came here just for a couple months to kind of uh, disentangle myself from my life. My projects were kind of hounding me like wolves. And so I sort of escaped for this three-month period of time. But then I instantly, the city kind of tangled me into the art scene. And I started working for the Mudlark Theater. And I started playing trumpet in the crew of Eris. And I started working with Dave Brinks's archiving project. And I started getting poetry readings on fell in love and, you know, just yeah. uh, everything kind of happened at once. And so um, I had booked a little book tour in the north, but I basically spent the summer saving up, buying a car, getting rid of all my possessions and driving back down here. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a big leap. That's, yeah. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Where where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, a tiny town in Vermont Okay. with no stoplight called Cuttingsville. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, by a donkey farm, in between a donkey farm and a cow pasture. <laughs> Beef cattle pasture, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not everybody yeah. can say they grew up next to a donkey farm. Yeah. How do you make a living farming donkeys? I don't know. <laughs> you got me. I mean, apparently I they never, did, or they, they, yeah. they might still be doing it. You yeah. never know. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Um, well, tell me, um, I was interested, either in this book or just in general, what are some of the strangest poems people have asked you to write? And do you have a all-time favorite that you've written? Yeah, some of the strangest. Um, I mean, this guy from Texas who sounded exactly like George Bush <laughs> asked me to uh, for an ode about the time that he uh, dislocated his wife's ankles using only his tongue. <laughs> um, that was a pretty strange one. Uh, one time a newspaper sent a journalist... Um, undercover to stump me and so they asked me for a poem about uh, the nuclear holocaust seen through the eyes of a puppy which I loved as a topic (laughs) and they ended up publishing it and stuff it was kind of cool like it backfired for them or whatever yeah but my favorite maybe my or I mean it's always changing of course yeah poets are are fickle but uh my favorite one right now is um I wrote here in New Orleans um during an interview for news with a twist yeah and uh, he wanted a, a poem about the news. And so um, I wrote this. It's called Fake Noose. My smartphone is a nesting wooden doll, suspiciously heavy and rattling faintly like a SARS saber sheathed. Something doesn't add up. I open her like a jam jar, find Henry Kissinger headscarved, and peasant skirted, clutching his Nobel Peace Prize, but I pop him like a Bud Light. And then Putin glistens, bare-breasted. I twist his hips apart, and that's when it happened. It was like a farm spilling out. It was a like farm. So many emperors in that circus giving me a thumbs up, that sound of one hand clapping. I had so much consent manufactured. My applause 
was deafening. Now I can do anything, even speak French. Listen, alternative fact, pas de de, nom de guerre, coup d'état, la la la. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I, uh, it's a great image. True story. True yeah, story. True story. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a great image to have Putin glistening in my mind going to the weekend. Oh, I think, God, you know? David. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, he, is, he takes care of himself. He really Let does. it be known. He, you know, he really no does. one can't take that away from him. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, Ben, what, what events do you have coming up? Uh, I have a couple readings. Um, I'm going to read at the Maple Leaf. Um, really wonderful long time reading on Sundays in the afternoon. I think it starts at three, um, Maple Leaf, uh, way uptown. And then, uh, I'm going to read at a, a relatively new series, uh, at this kind of new place called the flower, rubber flower poetry library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on piety and Dauphine and the iron rail is there. So it's also a bookstore and a library. It's a really neat spot. Um, and I'll be reading there with Dylan Krieger, who's a really wonderful poet um, who all sorts of exciting things are happening to her. She got that incredible review in the New York Times. Um, so she's just released her second book. Um, so that'll be super fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And when are those going to be? Uh, the one with Dylan is on April 13th, I think. It's a Wednesday. Okay. And the Maple Leaf is on March 25th, I oh, believe. Fantastic, yeah. Ben. Uh, to kind of kind of wrap us up, uh, tell me what you're reading right now and also where people can find more information about you. Sure. Um, you can find more info at my, at my website. It's poetforhire.org. And then I do uh, the Instas as well, Benjamin underscore Ailsharm. Um, and what I'm reading now is almost no poetry. I'm reading almost all nonfiction, memoir, and fiction. Okay. So everything from – I'm really obsessed with Maggie Nelson – and uh, Ben Lerner and poets who are writing novels and and nonfiction because um, that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm trying to really read pretty deeply into that and stuff like Olivia Lang and um, really liked uh, Jamie Attenberg's new book. Uh, all grown up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, I'm trying to write all in present tense, and she manages that <laughs> feat with her book. Uh, so I'm kind of studying up on that and. Um, yeah, what else? A couple books about the Troubadours, Lark in the Morning, the Ezra Pound, Snodgrass translation of the Troubadours. And, um, yeah, Dennis Johnson. Um, Train Dreams? What's that? Train Dreams? Jesus' Son. Jesus' Son. I never yeah. read him, so I'm trying to catch up a little bit. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome, Ben. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming yeah, thank here. Thank you, David.